Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by the mobility maker herself, Dana Santis. Now, before we jump into this week's show, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was. It was obviously a big one. The big man himself, Cade Michael Robertson, turned six. So that was obviously a, a big part of last week. Got to enjoy his birthday, went out to his favorite burger spot. So it was really good to uh, get some extra time with him. Love that guy and uh, excited to continue to watch his growth over the years. So we had his birthday. We had the intensive day ocho with uh, the one and only Bill Hartman. So I'm going to save uh, the details of that, but amazing, amazing event. But I'm going to talk more about that in a, a little bit, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. And then kind of wrapped up the weekend, because I mean, that was a big part of the weekend was the intensive. And then finished up on Sunday with a family trip to the pumpkin patch. So not sure how we have four family members and came home with six pumpkins. But yes, we have quite a few pumpkins to carve in the next couple of weeks here. So great week. Content train is rolling this week as well. Didn't get an article up, just a ton going on. Also have a upcoming seminar that I'm going to be hosting, co-hosting with the people at Sogility about off-season soccer training. So that's taken a big piece of my time and I'm creating special content for them and for their list to promote the need for off-season training because it's just crazy. Like these kids in soccer nowadays, it's one thing if I get a pro soccer player and they get a two month or three month off season, but I'm seeing middle and high school age kids now that legitimately have maybe two months of total off season a year and it's just not enough. So that is the whole gist of that. I know I'm preaching to the choir, talking about off season training with people like you, but I'm putting it out there and hopefully we'll get some parents that are they're interested and that want to learn more about what we do and why the offseason is such a critical time for developing the young soccer player. So I got that new uh, video up for this week, the split stance low cable row. I got a lot of really good feedback on that athletic dumbbell row video that I put up the week before. So figured, hey man, people are liking it. Let's go with this one as well because... The longer I do this, the more I realize, yes, there's a time and a place for like really mechanical robotic movements, but there's also a time once you've kind of got the basics dialed in that you want to be more fluid. You want to be more athletic. You don't want to feel like, like a stone golem when you're in or out of the gym. So these more athletic moves, if you enjoy them, are things that I'm going to focus more on with my videos in the future. Last but not least, big podcast day coming up here in a week or two. I've got the man himself, John Berardi. I think he is going to be the interviewee for show 200. I got Mike Nilsson, who is a strength coach with Gonzaga Women's Basketball, Chris Duffin, the mad scientist himself, and then from Feed the Cats lore, Tony Holler, who is an amazing sprint coach. It's the guy that I've wanted to interview for quite a while now, and I'm really excited. So, it's going to be a big day. I don't think it's any secret that I record all of the interviews on one day and then I kind of put all the pieces together on a separate day, but really excited for that day. It's going to be a long one. I might need a little bit of extra caffeine that day just to make sure I'm, I'm focused and ready, but really, really excited for that day. And then as far as this week goes, kiddos are actually on fall break. That's why getting this intro has been a little bit more challenging than usual. You know, randomly get a piece of wood like a wood building block dropping or little voices and pitter patterings of feet. But looking forward to uh, this weekend because we're going to do a little family trip to Cincinnati, 
get out and hopefully go to King's Island if the weather's nice. So trying to enjoy a little bit of downtime. I do have to work some this week, both at iFast and Sojility, but trying to enjoy the days, get some time in with them, and then really looking forward to this weekend. So that is kind of what's going on. But before we jump into this show with Dana, I want to give you my deep thought of the week. And this is actually one of my mantras. If you go back and listen to my seven mantras show that I recorded a couple months ago, one of my big mantras in life is to be a lifelong learner. And it's something that I pride myself on. It's something that I've always tried to do. And it's funny because I'm reading this book now by Robert Greene, who's one of my favorite authors. The book's called Mastery. And Robert Greene is talking about how in all of us, there's this want to learn and to grow and to evolve. And, you know, when we ignite that flame, it's like this amazing thing, right? It's like we're taking the world by, by storm, we're learning, we're growing. But what happens is complacency has this tendency to settle in. And if you don't watch it, you know, you start to get a little comfortable. And it's funny the way he described this, but it was basically like the world knows, right? The world around you knows when you've lost your hunger or you've lost that that thirst to continue learning. And I think we all go through this, right? Unless you're a Bill Hartman, you know, we all have these, this waxing and waning going on of you're, you're really into your career and learning and, and continuing education. And then there's times where you just, you're just not as much for whatever reason. And that happens to all of us. But he talks about how when you go into these phases where you're not really into it. Like the world knows, the universe knows, like the people around, you know, whether it's your coworkers, your athletes, your clients, whomever you're working with, like the world kind of knows. And so it's on you to recognize when you're not as interested. And I think this is something that I've even struggled with in the past. You know, I go through periods, especially during the summer when I'm coaching a ton, there's just a lot of time and energy invested into my athletes. It's hard to want to come home and then cram a bunch of continuing education into my schedule. So it was really great going to the intensive because obviously Bill and I have in many ways grown together in the industry. Uh, I do not claim to be his, uh, his equal intellectually. He's absolutely brilliant. So it was great to sit down and see what he has evolved because I felt like I was probably at about 80% of where I wanted to be with regards to coaching, with regards to understanding movement and that sort of thing. But at the same time, there was like this 15 to 20% that I wasn't clear on. I didn't understand why certain things that I did worked, or I didn't have great explanations for certain movements or, you know, why I would have success with certain clients, but not others. So I told Bill at the end of the intensive, this was literally the most impactful weekend of continuing education I've ever had in my entire life. And of course, he kind of he kind of laughed and he's like, well, you have to say that a little bit. And I'm like, well, I do. But I'm also our own worst critic, right? Because I am so focused on IFAST and RTS and, you know, Bill Hartman. I'm so focused on us trying to blaze a path in our industry and to help level up our industry so yeah, you know, in some ways I am going to be his biggest fan because we've worked together for 11 years. I know how much time and energy he puts into it. It's like any other relationship that you've invested a lot of time in. You obviously care about that person. But at the same time, I have to remove myself from that. And I have to be objective and I can be very objective and still say, again, this was the most impactful weekend I've had because it made me rethink certain things that I was doing. It gave me better answers 
Like there's no price you can put on that. When you have better answers as to why you're getting results or maybe why you're not getting results, that is so hugely beneficial for me as a coach and as a practitioner. So that's what I would challenge you with this week is, you know, find ways to continue to educate yourself. Maybe it's the complete coach certification. Maybe it's going to Bill's intensive. Like there's so many great learning resources out there. And one thing to kind of circle back to Robert Greene, he said, you got to find things that, that ignite that fire, that keep you passionate, right? And sometimes it's going to things that really challenge you, right? And sometimes it's like, no, I just, this seems fun. I want to learn it and it's going to keep the momentum going. So I think you need to find this blend of things that really challenge you, that make you rethink your model, that make you, that not make you, that force you to evolve and to grow. And then supplement that with things that are a little bit easier tactics, little things that you can do or start throwing into your programming that make you feel like, hey, these are little things that I can start using right now today that give you little wins. So that's where I'm at today. Find ways to challenge yourself, continue to grow, continue to evolve. Just become a lifelong learner. I guarantee you, you will never feel like you are stagnant or lost in your life. You may have these short periods, but your life as a whole, if you take the time to continue to educate yourself, to learn and to grow, you're going to be the best possible version of yourself. And that's all you can ever ask for. It doesn't matter what somebody else is doing. It doesn't matter where somebody else is at. It's all about, are you getting the most out of your life, out of your education? And as a result, giving the best possible chance of success to your clients and your athletes that you work with. So my friend, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome show with Dana. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body, and others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now, and I can tell you it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders, and every one of them raves about how great Momentus protein shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentus is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement, as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports Certified. If you'd like to try Momentus out for yourself, head over to livemomentous.com forward slash Robertson and use the code Robertson20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you want to try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee once you try Momentous Protein Shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Known as the Mobility Maker, Dana Santis is a breathing, mobility, and mind-body coach in professional sports. She's also a health and wellness expert for CNN, best-selling author of the book Practical Solutions for Back Pain Relief, and international presenter on ways to breathe, move, and feel better. Specializing in training professional athletes, she's worked with a broad swath of clients, everything from Major League Baseball, NHL, NBA, MLS, PGA, WTA, and even the WWE. 
So she has experience working with over 45 professional sports teams and hundreds of athletes worldwide. She's also the creator of YIT, or the Yoga-Inspired Training Method. In this show, Day and I talk about how she went from corporate job to yoga instructor to becoming the mobility maker, the story of how she built and evolved her training philosophy over the years, and why she's got such a practical approach to breathing, mobility, and movement. Other than her neighbor's landscapers intruding on us for about five minutes of our show early on, this is an awesome show and one I think you're really going to enjoy. But enough for me. Let's do this. All right, Dana, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a breathing and mobility and mind-body coach in professional sports. Previously, I was known more as a yoga instructor, but over the past, it's almost been two decades now. It's about 17 years doing this. It's evolved into however a team is really using me, how they want to identify me. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they call me the breathing coach. Sometimes it's breathing and mobility. Sometimes they just say mind-body coach. I'm okay with all of it. It's fine. Right. As long as they're using your services, right? Yes. And and I exclusively work in professional sports because I'm often asked, you know, do you have general population clients? I don't have a physical space. Like I don't have a a movement studio or a place where people go. I I do have a garage gym um, and it's really sweet, (laughs) but, but I, and I occasionally clients in the off season will come to the garage gym and, and, and work out there. But for the most part, I have team contracts at this point. I actually have very few individual clients, even though over the years I've had hundreds of individual pro clients, but trying to navigate everybody and juggle everybody's schedules. Yes. It's just been easier to work directly with teams. Gotcha. And yeah, and the way that I work as well, I like to work as a consultant. I, I I, although I am on retainer with a couple different teams, I do like to go in and educate people. I do a lot of in services with staff members and then and I'll do video programs and I just try to leave them with things to empower them to implement what I do without me having to be physically there because there's only one of me and I've I, there have been times when I've juggled like 12 teams at a time. Yeah. And I'm just too old for that now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, yeah. tell us a little bit about your path. You know, tell us how you got into the world of physical preparation. Well, I previously had an entirely different career. So I went I went to college and did my major in sociology and my minor in marketing and communications. And then I I worked as a director of public relations and marketing for an international corporate real estate firm. And oh, I wow. did that for about seven years. Okay. And that was that was interesting. The first couple of years, you know, I thought I was really a big deal and I made a ton of money, but it wasn't my passion. I really just thought at that point, having grown up poor, that I really just wanted a job where I could make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. But you know what they say? That's not just a cliche. It's really true. Money doesn't buy you happiness. And when I was this super stressed out corporate executive, I found yoga and it changed my life. It just the ability to get out of my head and then actually then be able to tap into just an inner space that I had never really slowed down long enough 
to understand. And then also starting to, to ha- have a sense of control over my body yep. in a way that I'd never experienced before. And I had come from a history of abuse. And I think a lot of abuse victims feel as though they have no control over their bodies, right? Sure. And And this reintroduced me to the sense of control. And I loved sports. And I went to I went to school in Boston. I went to Tufts. And while I was there, that's when I found sports. And I mean, if you know anything about Boston, especially back then, it's like a drinking town with a baseball problem is what they used to say. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Baseball and sports in general in Boston, it's like a religion, mm-hmm. right? And yep. and so I really started to absolutely love sports. And then as I started to get into yoga and the sense of control of my body and how bodies move, I was fascinated even more so by athletics. Now, I didn't have any training in this, but I'm a type A personality. And if I start to do something and I like it, I want to be at like the top of my field. And yes. The cool thing was with this job that I had, I was able to travel all over and we had the the company I worked for had 47 offices just in North America. And to get my yoga certification, what I started doing was looking at where there were trainings happening near the offices I needed to visit for my corporate job. (laughs) And I would just tack a couple of days on. And it was really cool because back then the Yoga Alliance let you put together your 200 hours by going to all different places. So you can select what you wanted to learn. They don't do that anymore. Now it's just one place and it can be so subjective. And I'm actually, I I don't think it's a really great certification. So I don't mean to piss off the yoga people who are listening, but (laughs) I I know what's behind that. And I think that there's really lacking um, enough concentration on anatomy and biomechanics because your 20 hours of anatomy and biomechanics could instead be focused entirely on chakras, which is fine, right. depending on what kind of yoga you're teaching. But if you want to, and now yoga for sports is so sexy, right? And, yes. and everybody wants to be an instructor. If you want to do that and your 20 hours is in chakras, well, that's not going to work. Right, right. So I was I was lucky enough that I was able to find the best that I could in their fields and learn from them and 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 do this traveling all over North America and not really having to pay for it because you know I was making them into corporate trips. And at the end of that, I felt like I had a pretty good background in yoga and what yoga had to offer. Boy was it illuminating once I got into professional sports. Right. And I started to realize what I yeah, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? Yeah. And I don't know if you can hear the landscapers. They timed it for the podcast. Yes. They're not mine. They're my neighbors. <laughs> of course they did. That's fine. Yeah. So, but they'll be done quickly. The, no worries. The really not that long. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that was kind of how that came to be. I started to recognize that I wasn't doing the job that I wanted to do. Yep. Um, yoga opened my eyes to so many things personally, but then also like it became a a professional viewpoint, like how could I actually switch careers? How could I, how could I start to bring this to sports? I had a um, chance meeting again for my corporate career. I was, I was in a hotel in Baltimore. I had taken some clients from Boston to go see the Red Sox because ironically at that time, right, I didn't have any sports connections. So I couldn't get good tickets to Fenway Park. So we flew them to Camden Yards, which is such a beautiful park too. 
And I took them there to see the Red Sox play. And when the Red Sox left, I had to stay. I had a special event. But the Yankees came in to play Baltimore. And they were staying in the same hotel as me. And I came down an escalator and literally bumped right into a couple of them. And we had a conversation and, uh, you know, they introduced themselves like I didn't know who they were at the time. And this was, (laughs) you think about like 17 years ago, that that was a pretty recognizable group of players. So after the game that night, I ended up hanging out with them and, um, and talking a lot about what do they do in terms of physical preparation, right? Right. Before they play. And back then there was not like mobility wasn't even a word really that was thrown around. Right. And they had team stretch, which was a joke. That was pretty much them out on the field, just talking to each other while they went through the motions. Right. And next thing I know, so (laughs) Jorge Posada and I, so Jorge, for those people who don't know, is was an awesome catcher yes. for the Yankees. Of course, I feel like I, you know, I'm fraternizing with the enemy because I'm a <laughs> yeah, hard Red Sox fan. Yeah. Jorge and I are now on the floor and we are practicing hip openers. Like he I'm introducing him to what I've learned from yoga. And these are things that he's a catcher, right? Yeah. That he'd never done before. And it's blowing my mind. So that planted the seed. And then I said, okay, that's it. This is, this is what I'm going to do. I put together a business plan that was like extremely flawed because I had no idea that professional athletes expect everything for free. Yes. (laughs) You know, I think, I think that's changed a little bit too as well, because now they understand how much goes into, to creating durability. Mm -hmm. And so thankfully there's been an education of athletes and there's been an evolution, you know, in our industry as well and in sports in general. So that's all helped. But in the beginning, yeah, people wanted to work with me, but they didn't necessarily want to pay for it. So I ended up tapping into my 401k after I'd quit my job and I'm going to launch this business. I would say the first few years, like I basically was paying for my business. I mean, if I made 30 grand, it was a miracle, right? So it was, it was a hard few years getting into it. So talk to me about the path though, right? Because, okay, so you've quit your corporate job. You're investing your own money into your business, into yourself. You've got this vision of what you want it to become. And now, I mean, dare I say you're there. So could you like fill in those gaps? Like how did you get from that spot where you're basically subsidizing your own business with your 401k to where you're at now? That's a big, that's a big progression. Yes, it is for sure. And it didn't happen overnight, right? But first there was the matter of like even getting in the door. Um, Like how do I even start this business? Because I set my sights, remember a little bit crazy, type A. I set my sights on professional athletes, professional teams. That's who I'm going to work with. That's yep. who I'm going to bring this to because I've now decided that that there's an established need. So, and I wanted to work in the NFL, NHL, NBA, and MLB. So I went through all of the teams in each of those four main sports And I picked out the names of three players who were important to the team, but had enough of an injury history that it was on their radar. Right. And this is back when, you know, AOL still existed and the Internet took forever. And so this you don't get information lightning fast. I mean, I feel like I was still hearing that dial up modem sound at that point. Right. (laughs) Yes. 
So I had to I had to do a lot of searching to get this information, but I've got I picked the three players on every team, the head coach or manager, depending on the sport, the head of strength and conditioning, and the head athletic trainer. And I sent customized letters to all of them because I researched where did they go to school, even the the coaches too, like their injury history, what they had going on, because I wanted to I wanted to show them that I could potentially help them personally as well because mm. You know, we all perform better if we feel better. Yes. And no one had ever received, from the feedback that I got, no one had ever received anything quite like that from someone trying to sell them something because I tried so hard to make it a warm kind of letter, like a warm connection. If I could find anyone that, you know, we shared in common, I would reach out to them first to say, hey, do you know so-and-so so that I could quote whoever, or they'd open the door for me and, you know, say, Hey, you can be expecting a letter or a package from, from Dana. So I, I did all of this legwork and it had to be like 80 to a hundred hours of, of this. Yeah. I also decided I needed the credibility of a platform of some sort a, a book or something. So I wrote a book too called, and no one should get this book, by the way, it's still available. Some people are selling even signed copies. I don't remember signing them. So I don't know if that's real, but (laughs) Don't get it because I, again, I didn't know what I didn't know, but at the time it was the best I had to offer. And I called it yoga is not one size fits all. And the book was divided up into different sections based on like core, T-spine, hips and hamstrings. I forget what else, but, but things like that. Sure. Now I went through and I earmarked pages in this book. So this is why I needed to tap my 401k plan because I also sent a copy of this book to everybody. So it wasn't cheap to mail these packages. So I've got the customized letter. I've got earmarked pages in there of exercises I think that could work for them, but I'm not dogmatic in my approach at all either. I wasn't saying I was sure this was going to work. I've seen some ridiculous stuff sent to teams because the strength coaches share it with me. <laughs> they sent to teams saying, you know, if you do yoga with me, I can add 10 miles per hour to your, you know, to your pitcher's speed. That's ridiculous. Right. So nothing like that. And having worked in, in marketing, I know with a direct mail, a 4% like return is fantastic. That's huge. Yeah. I had 37%. My phone oh my started ringing. It was nuts. And the first person who called me was Terry Francona. So that was... Oh, wow. That doesn't suck. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> suck. Right? But remember, I looked at his injury history and I knew about the knee replacement, Knees. the yeah. knee issues. And so he was actually one of the very first... And he's a former athlete. So the, the first people that I worked with. Uh, so that was super cool. But when he did call me, the first thing I said to him is stop effing messing with me because I didn't expect, I didn't expect, and he called me within like two days of the package being sent out. And I had sent them out to so many people. And in Boston, you know, I had a few friends who knew what I was up to. And we would sometimes mimic Terry's accent and stuff. (laughs) So I thought it was someone calling me and messing with me. So thankfully, he still he still hired me after <laughs> after that, and he had a sense of humor about it. But it, I'm surprised he didn't hang up when I right. when I said that. But um, yeah, so I ended up working with all of the four major teams in Boston. The Tampa Bay Rays ended up flying me down to work spring training that year. Like it was nuts. It, yeah. it just all at once craziness. And then people say, well, then how did you market after that? I never marketed again. I just worked really hard not to build a bridge and to continue getting better. And 
I find that strength coaches, especially in the professional sports arena, we all, there are less degrees of separation than there are to Kevin Bacon, right? We all know each other. Yep. And if you do the right thing, people want to help you out. That's what I've seen over and over and over. And so doors were just opened for me after that, as long as I just kept doing the right thing, which was being humble and always being open to learning. And so that's why, too, I don't I don't ever go into a team from just one avenue. It's not always the strength coach. Sometimes it's the athletic trainers. And as you know, sometimes in teams, the athletic trainers and the strength coaches don't necessarily even communicate. Yes. But and and there have been times that I feel like I've been somewhat of a bridge between them. And it's been great. You just always you always have to treat people with respect and yeah, so that I've never marketed again. So it was that 80 to 100 hours. And then that was there you it. Go. I love it. I love it. So I'm interested because you have such a unique viewpoint. And I'm remiss to even call it like yoga at this point, even though, you know, you started in yoga. So would you start by just giving us like your overarching training philosophy, or maybe how you start to pull all the pieces together to make whatever it is, it has become your training system? Awesome. Yes, it's been, it's definitely been an evolution. So when I first started off, it absolutely was yoga, but probably only for about six months. Okay. (laughs) Because, and I think I want to go back for a second to like when I was marketing to people, why I got that kind of response, because back then yoga and professional sports was such a novelty. It really was not happening. I own all the URLs for yoga for sports, yoga for baseball, yoga for football, because it just didn't, it wasn't something that existed. So it was very novel. And so that's why now when I go to use the hashtag yoga for sports or something, and I see that it's been used like a million times on Instagram it's hilarious because, yeah. I mean, geez, who started that? So it's, that's kind of funny. That's but, awesome. So like six months in, maybe a little bit more, it was when I was down here for spring training with the Rays and the Rays strength coach at the time, who's now the Marlins strength coach is Kevin Barr. Do you know Kevin I, Barr? I've heard the name. I've not met okay. him. But. So KB, as everybody who knows him calls him, KB was fantastic. And he kept just saying, you just get it. Like I wasn't falling all over people in the weight room. Like I always, I I mean, I'm, I'm kind of outspoken, right? Like I, I hold my own, right? but so no one's going to, I'm not a pushover, but I also, I also know that the weight room is their domain. I'm not going to come over and try to take over. And so I guess I was doing things right. Cause KB just kept saying, you get it, you get it. And he introduced me to every team within like a driving radius. And I was here for three weeks, but I wasn't working with them every day. So he opened so many doors for me. I'm so grateful to KB. But one of the doors that he opened was at that time, the Cleveland Indians had their spring training in in Florida. Now they're in Arizona. And do you know Tim Maxey? I've heard that name as well. but Okay, so Tim was the head strength coach at the Indians at the time. Now he's head of all of MLB strength and conditioning. So oh, wow. now, yeah, now MLB has this position. That position is fairly new. I want to say it's like five years. Didn't exist back then. But when I went to go see Tim, again, everybody was so warm and, you know, I'm there to learn. I, there's only a certain extent of like expertise. And I put that in air quotes because I was realizing very quickly 
that I was a little over my skis in terms of thinking that traditional yoga, like all I'd ever done was taught like, you know, yoga classes in a, in a yoga setting, in a right. studio. Being in a weight room with craziness. I remember that my first session with Terry Francona, we were in the athletic training room at Fenway Park. And hopefully they've expanded things since the last time I was there. But people were stepping over us and around us. And like it's you don't get like special music. And I when I was working at the Celtics, I had like the rap music was so and now it's so funny because to me that stood out now i'm so used to the music being so loud that i can right. hear it in my chest right you know? <laughs> right so so you have to be ready to just go with the flow and i realized that most of what i had learned in traditional yoga like yeah throw that out the window but back to tim maxi he really opened my eyes because he said hey have you ever heard of gray cook and I had never heard of Gray Cook because remember, my training and background at that point was, well, sociology and marketing right. and my yoga certification. So no, I'm like, Gray Cook. And he, he talked about, where is it? I'm looking for the book on my bookshelf, Athletic Body. Body and Balance. balance. Yeah, yes. that's it. And he said, I think you'll be fascinated. And back then, Amazon Prime didn't exist. Amazon did. So right. I, I went back to my hotel. I ordered it, had it delivered to my hotel. It took a week because no Amazon Prime. Right. And I had to pay for shipping. But I got the book and it just was it was mind-blowing for me because all of his exercises, if you didn't read the text, they certainly looked like yoga. Yeah. And they almost looked like yo modified yoga, right? Because okay. it wasn't the full extent of the pose, which actually makes so much more sense in the context of my work now, right? We don't need to push people into the full extent of like a pigeon pose and they go to the like king pigeon and that kind of stuff because their goal is not to be on the cover of yoga journal, right? Right. So it's to be functional. And so then when I read his breakdown and his cues and his rationale for using these exercises, it made so much more sense than anything that I'd ever seen in yoga. Because everything that I had been taught was even the anatomy stuff, which was helpful. Everything I'd been taught was, you know, the pose is the end goal, right? right. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not trying to make you know, athletes become better yogis. Yes. They don't need that. So that changed everything for me. And I started to rework how I was doing. And I also, you know, my eyes had been open to the fact that there are so many demands on these guys' schedules, like, and they're being pulled in so many different directions that I had to be efficient to be effective. And there was nothing efficient about yoga classes <laughs> at all. And it was like, you know, everything was about a, the flow and whether you, you know, start people on the ground and then build them up and then bring them back to, there was a whole, it, it was a beautiful thing for a studio does not make sense in the context of giving athletes exactly what they need. Because now, especially if I have a group, I'm reading the room, I'm seeing how they're actually moving through things. I can't have a set plan. If I have a set plan, then that's not going to do them any good. For some people, it may not be appropriate. For some people, it may just be a waste of time. And then maybe there'll be a few that get something out of it. Every time I work with someone, you know, a group or individually, I want to make sure that I'm giving them the best of what I have to offer specifically for them in the context, not only of their overall career, sport and position, but that day, right? Yeah. 
So I need to understand the demands on their body if they're going to do a lift after they see me or if they're done for the day. Like there's context is everything. Yep. And and that isn't that isn't taught in yoga, right? That isn't the context element is not an aspect of yoga. So I'm kind of known more now as like the anti-yoga yoga coach if someone <laughs> wants to call me a yoga coach because <laughs> When players come up to me and they say, hey, you'd probably be happy to know I'm doing yoga in the off season. And I cringe because yoga is not regulated. It's highly subjective. And and one of the things that scares me the most about yoga for athletes is this focus on adjustments. Because if your 20 hours of anatomy was focused on chakras, do not put your, it's totally irresponsible for you to be putting your hands on anyone and pushing them further into a position right. when you don't have a command on biomechanics. So that disturbs me. Also saying that you're doing yoga is like saying you drive a car. So many of my clients have Maseratis. I drive a Prius. Those are totally different cars, <laughs> right? Right. Yep. Different cars. And yoga has I, there are so many different styles from yin to vinyasa to ashtanga, you know, power yoga. There are all these different buckets. How is an athlete supposed to know the difference? Right. And even then within those different buckets, again, back to it being subjective, it depends on the expertise of the yoga instructor. And there's this weird thing in yoga where instructors are kind of taught to be dogmatic. For some reason, you stand up in the front of the class and suddenly you know everything about philosophy. Yes. And I get it. Yoga is actually more of a philosophy if, you, if you're not just looking at the exercise component. There are eight limbs to yoga. And the exercise component of yoga was actually designed to be able to enable true yogis to sit in a cross-legged position for many, many hours to meditate. That was why these positions, these postures were created so that hmm. they wouldn't have knee and hip issues, back issues. They could stay in that position. So what it's transformed into in, in the Western world, I know it pisses off a lot of people in the Eastern world, hmm. right? Because it doesn't look like their yoga. But there's this weird blend where you'll have yoga instructors, you know, just because there's some dude with a man bun doesn't mean like he's, I don't know, whatever he thinks he is, like top yogi and he's mm -hmm. got all the answers. So, yeah, that's why now you now you're getting picking up the anti yoga. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. And this is why I'm, I, I had mentioned to you, I'm, I'm developing, well, finishing up this certification program that I've developed that I'm really excited to roll out because it's YIT, Yoga Inspired Training Method for Athletes, and it's coaching certification, and it's all based on teaching them fundamental movements, progressions, regressions, but then understanding context because the context right is the biggest component to being able to bring this stuff safely and effectively to athletes. I love it. I love it. So when it comes to mobility training, because that's obviously something you're well known for, what are some of the primary areas you're focused on with your athletes? And again, understanding that context is obviously king. Are there any areas that you're constantly kind of looking at or assessing and finding you have to spend more time on than others? Yes. Well, the second game changer in my career came 10 years ago when Eric Cressy, I went to go visit him. This was this was before 
we both moved to Florida or maybe I had just moved to Florida, and, but he was still just in Hudson, Mass. And we, I think we both had a couple of Red Sox clients. So I went out, we'd never met in person. Okay. I went out to go see him and also see some of the clients and he was doing all this weird asymmetrical breathing stuff. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> and, you know, I kind of felt like I'm supposed to be the breathing expert because that's what I'd been told, right? If you're right. a yoga instructor, you're a right. breathing expert. Back to I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't know much when it came to breathing. There was very little, or at least then there was a very little training on breathing biomechanics in yoga. Yep. And well... I don't want to keep taking a giant dump on yoga. So I'm going to move ahead <laughs> to talk about the positives of this. So so he 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 said, "Yeah, Dana, I just took this this really cool course called Postural Respiration and it was through PRI, the Postural mm-hmm. Restoration Institute." And and then he proceeded to t- talk to me the way that Eric does where he's just he's talking and I'm like, "I understand about 30% of this." Um, <laughs> because he's so freaking smart, right? Yes. But thankfully, the 30% that I did understand was so intriguing. And and so within two weeks, I was in postural respiration. Course awesome. And, yeah. And it blew my mind because now breathing is a movement pattern. Mm-hmm. Who knew, right? Right. And, and not only is it a movement pattern, it is the most fundamental movement pattern. And now I'm starting to recognize how it can have an influence over everything. That was craziness. And because, I mean, I think you and I met for the first time at a PRI course mm-hmm. at the Phillies, right? Yeah, the, baseball the PRI course. baseball. Yep. Yes. So because, and now that one's, that one's a little bit easier to digest, but those main, those primary PRI courses, that's some pretty heavy material. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a stupid woman. And I, I, I mean, I, my background, though, again, being in sociology, right. I'm like, I, I had to work really hard to make sure that I understood everything. And I sure. don't like to not understand anything because how am I going to share that with athletes and then have confidence in what I'm sharing if I don't personally understand it all myself? Yep. And there are a whole shit ton of acronyms that they use. There's a lot to follow, right? Yes, yes. So I took I took the respiration course two or three times. I did home study on pelvis restoration. And then, I mean, I did all the fundamental courses. I think I did two of them as home study. I did I and I. I did the baseball one, the vision one. I took eight courses in total. Right. But that also counts retaking a couple of them. Yeah. And it's not because I didn't pass them. It's because I want full comprehension. Absolutely. Yeah. And but even with full comprehension, now the exercises themselves, like I didn't have a full command on the exercises. So I'm working with athletes and I still have my manual and I'm flipping through. And even, you know, athletic trainers who've taken the courses with me and strength coaches, we're all just trying to sort all of this out and figure out what works best. And so for a few years, I, I tried to use PRI, like strict PRI. And as much as I knew that the exercises were incredible. And personally, you know, I could do them. I would comply with my own exercises and and I could do them and they worked. What I found was it was very difficult to get compliance with all these nuanced, complex exercises if I couldn't be there every day. Yes. And you can have the best, most complex 
customized exercise for someone, but it's worthless if they don't do it. Mm-hmm. So it was four years ago during spring training. I'm, I was still trying hard to implement these PRI exercises. I was a big believer in it. I was running around to all the different teams during spring training. I saw this pitcher. He was having recurring, like a chronic shoulder issue. I'd figured out how we could get him out of pain. And and so I set him up with this exercise that he needed to do. And obviously I was at, because PRI addresses all the asymmetries. So this exercise, you know, you've got one foot, like two and a half inches up because he's got the rotated pelvis, all the typical stuff. Yeah. But I've, I've got all the nuance for him. We know that it works because then he feels better. I take a video of it for him with his phone. I go over it with his strength coach. I'm not coming back for 10 days. He's like, oh, I'm all in because I know how good this felt, right? Right. And now I'm going to do this every day for 10 days. Awesome. I come back after 10 days and I bet you can, you probably can surmise what happened. Yeah. He says, I've got good news and bad news. He said, the good news is I did the exercise every day. The bad news is I feel worse, like a lot worse. So I said, can you show me what you were doing? Like, I don't understand. So he showed me and it was the exact opposite. Mm. So everything was the opposite of what I showed him. So that meant for 10 days, he essentially was feeding into the pattern that had been causing the chronic issues for him. So of course he made them worse. And that's when I was like, I can't even, no more. I can't do this because I I gave him all the tool. And this wasn't the first time something like this had happened, but this was just a pretty extreme case. And I was just so frustrated. And I just said, you know what? In the context of my work, as much as I love PRI, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I've seen this. I'm I'm pushing a rock up a hill and I just got pummeled by it. Right. So I just, I put all my manuals away and I said, what is the primary thing that I need people to understand? Because the stuff, it, it, it can help a lot of people. And it's that they don't understand. They don't understand breathing mechanics. They don't put the emphasis in the right place. There's all this emphasis on belly breathing. We don't get any rib movement. Like, what could I do? How could I start to teach this? And just lowest common denominator so right. I at least know I'm helping everyone. Right. So that's all I started to do. And I created I cr- created. I took some exercises that already existed. They weren't PRI exercises. I took the like a basic glute bridge because the other thing is the stuff up against the wall, the feet up, especially in a group setting. But also, if you look at a lot of weight rooms, you know, it's it's like spin art. Everything's up against the wall. Yeah, you don't absolutely. have wall space. You can't do it. So I have to make this as easy as possible. So I just, I used a basic glute bridge, but I made sure it was a posterior pelvic tilt that was taking us up. So I was getting transverse abdominis. And as much as I understand the the hamstring engagement there, there are a lot of times that we were getting people up against the wall who were getting hamstring cramps. Like I started to think about what are all the things that were issues with yep. what I was doing before. Let's eliminate them. I like that. So now I'm, I'm focused more on glutes, focused more on transverse abdominis. And I got smacked on the hand a few times by the PRI people who were like, oh, you're teaching this wrong. No, I'm teaching my own thing. I'm ba- I, I have tons of respect for what you taught me. Right. I'm teaching my own thing because now I know I'm still at least lining up the pelvic floor and the diaphragm, but I'm going to fo- focus on getting them to mobilize their ribs, get enough core engagement, inhibit what's happening in their upper body, keep it as simple as possible. 
And so I've been doing it like this now for four years. Well, within like the first year, I realized, holy crap, I didn't even address the asymmetries. But guess what happens? If they start using their diaphragm functionally and mobilizing their ribs, a lot of all that asymmetrical stuff that I was spending so much time addressing, I didn't even have to address. It starts to clean up. And if there's some other issue, once we've cleaned up the breathing pattern, then it exposes that issue more and you have a better idea of what to do to handle that issue, right? right. Like, so if there is a true scapular function issue or something going on there, now I can attack that. But let's just clean up the breathing first. I Pretty much every athlete, not pretty much every athlete that I have worked with since then, since it, over the past four years has two sets of five breaths in that breathing bridge in their warm up every day. Yeah. And it's been crazy effective, like insanely effective. So I just kept it simple and I don't want to piss off the PRI people because I hope they understand. I have utmost respect, but I had to go within the context of my work and I want to do the most good that I can. Yeah. And Blowing up balloons didn't resonate, especially when I'm working in the corner of a weight room, you know, and, and it's a new guy who, especially if it's a, it's a Latin guy, there's a cultural difference that now they have to work with a woman coach. And now, you know, if I'm asking them to blow up a balloon, they're like, no yoga, no, yeah. <laughs> not with you. Right. So there were just certain things that I, I came up against trying to implement it that way. And, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and yes. it worked out for me. So yeah. great coaches are creative, you know, yeah. like there's how it says you should do it in a textbook or whatever. And then there's how you actually get the job done. And I just love that you were creative and you found an innovative way to accomplish the goal that you were set out to achieve. Right. Yes. I love it. So, I'm going to skip ahead because you actually answered a couple of my questions. But one thing I'm really interested in is, like you just said, sometimes you're going to get blowback, right? It's not like you're the weights guy and you're in there telling them to do this culturally accepted thing, which is to lift weights. So you're talking about whether it's yoga or mobility or breathing. Even still, some of these things are still on the fringe. So how have you dealt with that in the past and how have you maybe broken through with some athletes to get better buy-in? Well, that again was one of those necessities, the mother of invention, right? Yes. I've got to be able to get by and especially now where I'm, where I'm leading with breathing, it doesn't matter what it is. You, if you're coming to me about hips or what I'm leading with breathing, because I know that I can get, I can get more, I can give them more benefits if we start there for all the reasons we just discussed before. But I have to get their buy-in because breathing yep. is generally thought of as, well, it's a, it's something you do for relaxation, which it's absolutely very effective yeah. for relaxation. Unless of course you're stuck in a jacked up breathing pattern that keeps you sympathetic all the time. Then telling someone to just breathe is not going to do them any good. Right. But then B, the other perception is, hello, I'm alive. So apparently I'm breathing well. And I've yes. had that. I've, yeah. I get that all the time still. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, fr yeah. I'm fine. I'm breathing. I'm alive. I don't need this. Right. So going back to PRI, because one of the things that, that they use that was really cool, and, and Mike Cantrell is one of my favorite PRI instructors. Have you yes. ever? Oh, had he, I've had him numerous times. He's arguably the best instructor. I just love that guy. Brilliant. Yeah. Yes. 
his humor can be offensive to other people, but I mean, I've been in enough locker rooms now that it's not offensive to me at all. I think right. he's hilarious and he's brilliant. And so he, I, I want to say that it's because of him that I also, I also thought to start to break things down into simplest terms because the, to the best of his ability, he really does convey some complex concepts in some simple terms and, yes. you know, and then he injects humor into it and he's fantastic. And so he would always call these parlor tricks, right? Do you, so the, the check of the internal shoulder rotation, but then, you know, he'd do all of these different breathing exercises. There were different techniques and it would take quite a bit of time, but then he'd recheck the internal shoulder rotation and there'd be a big difference. And we'd all go, wow. So once I started to keep things simple with my breathing bridge, I said to myself, does this work? Could I, can I change internal shoulder rotation with just this breathing bridge? And yeah, I can. So I didn't address any symmetry. I did two sets of five breaths. So a total of 10 breaths. And sometimes I'm changing internal shoulder rotation by like 30 degrees. And it's visible to everyone. It's the person that I'm doing it on obviously feels it as well. But it's if I take them up to the front of the group. So I've had I've had entire groups of, you know, 16 to 20 year old brand new Latin players don't speak any English. And at the end of me doing a demo like that, they all want to do yoga, right? They, yes. like, they're all in. <laughs> yeah. and, and regardless of sport, like when I was at the Houston Texans uh, a couple years back, I took Deshaun Watson up to the front of the room and I, I did the, the example on him and we did two sets of five breaths or so a total of 10 breaths and showed how his internal rotation changed. And I was doing an in-service for a team at one point and I, you know, doing the same example for them. And someone said, does it impact external rotation? And I was like, let's see. So we did it on someone and it absolutely does. So now I show internal and external because it doesn't take much longer to show them right. both. Right. I don't have a table. I'm doing this on the floor. So I, I don't demo. And what is it when? Abduction. Thank horizontal you. abduction. Yep. Yes. Horizontal abduction. I don't demo that because I remember we, we used to demo that in PRI, but you have yep. them up on a table. Yep. And Mike, I went out and bought a massage table back in the day when I was mm-hmm. trying to do all the PR. I would lug that thing around. It was insane. Anyway, <laughs> so I don't demo that. I just demo external and internal rotation. But then I also came up with this modified side forearm plank that I do. This is not a PRI exercise. Again, it's an existing exercise, right? A modified side forearm plank where you've got a knee down. But I put the emphasis on breathing and especially on the exhalations and getting the ribs to come in back and down, doing more of a curve kind of situation as opposed to everybody thinks in their side forearm plank, you know, they should be nice and straight. But right. instead, I'm really trying to increase that relationship between, improve the relationship between the ribs and the pelvis. So I do that one, it, but before we do that, we we test internal hip rotation, right? Sure. So I have people check that, and it's a simple check. I'm not using a goniometer or anything. I just want people to feel it, and I want it to be visible to them. And then we do that exercise, and then we come back and we recheck. And 
I mean, the fluidity changes 95% of the time, the fluidity changes. I mean, some guys, their knees will be hitting the floor and they freak out. And yeah. so when I'm doing this with goaltenders or catchers or, you know, across all sports, it's, it really resonates. So then I said to myself, all right, well, if I'm keeping this really simple and I've got somebody who has a handle on the mechanics, what if I did this from a standing, you know, what looks like a standing side bend? But instead, I put the emphasis on activation and inhibition, not like just this stretch. So I'm going to put the the emphasis on the activation on the side that you're bending towards. So it's essentially like a standing version of that modified side plank. For sure. Absolutely works just as well. If you do it right, it works just as well. So now this like freaks everybody out and they, they're all in. Now I can show them the less sexy things, right? But yes. I start by showing them, guess what? You know, in 90 seconds, I can change your internal hip rotation in 90 seconds. But but then I make it very clear. These are parlor tricks. You don't own that range of motion. You have not changed your breathing pattern in 10 breaths that you've been doing for 5, 10, 15 years, right? Right. But now it's been four years that I've been doing this. And in my experience, it's never taken longer than two weeks if someone integrates this breathing bridge, the two sets, into their warm-up. After two weeks, they start to really own that pattern, which means they also own the enhanced range of motion and stability. They don't they don't recognize how much they're also changing stability because you're putting your rib cage in a better position. And now the scapula have no choice but to ride on the position of the rib cage that glides right. better. Like it improves so much and it's awesome when people come up to me and they say, I used to have TMJ and now I don't. Is that connected? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I used to get migraines and now I don't. Is that connected? Yes. Yes. That's yes. so cool. It's super cool. I love it. I love it. So I want to go off the beaten path here as we start to wind this up. But one thing I would love for you to speak on because you've been super successful in your career and even more impressive knowing where you started, you know, 17 years ago in this massive career shift. And I know a lot of young women listen to this show. So I would love for you to speak to them and maybe give them some advice on how they can find success or to be more successful in the physical preparation industry. Education. Well, actually, in my in my mentorship program, the motto was always earn it, own it. And I think that came out of my experience as a woman in this industry because I earn it by I pay my dues just because you're a woman like doesn't mean that you you can't that you can get away with not having to do all the internships, doing stuff for free, doing, you know, that's not, you're not being asked to do that because you're a woman. That's, we all pay our dues in that way. I'm sure yeah. you've done plenty for free, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And it's, it's not, it's not free because it's, you get so much value out of it. If you look at it that way, even if you're in an internship and you totally disagree with how, you know, the head strength coach is doing things great. Learn from that and realize what works and what doesn't work. Just like as much as I loved PRI, I learned from what didn't work to figure out what actually works. Yep. So so you have to go out there, you have to pay your dues, but keep learning because you never know what you don't know. And then once you learn things, then you need to be confident in what you've learned yep. and own it. So I don't think... I'm not saying that there, there isn't 
I don't know, that you're not kind of an underdog in our industry if you're a woman. I don't, because there aren't a whole lot of women strength coaches. So there is, there is that. And there, there's always going to be an old school perspective. I mean, it's shifting for sure. It is. But you can't be overly sensitive. You can't because here's the thing too, especially if you're like me and you're coming into a male dominated industry in a purely male sports, then I mean, men and women are still, what is it? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, <laughs> yes. or whatever that is. There's still, there are still differences in in our, I don't know, lack of a better word, in our sexes and in, in, yes. in how how we perceive things. I mean, there have been enough studies about how differently our brains can work. And you can't be overly sensitive. You really can't. You have to have a thick skin. You have to let certain things roll off your back. But then you also, there's a delicate line between that and self-respect. So no one is allowed to touch you in ways that aren't comfortable, right? It is not your fault if someone does based on how you dress. I, I encountered it was very odd because this was only a few years ago. And a few years ago, I was, I mean, at that point, I had earned a reputation for being good at what I do. And there was a team that out of the blue suddenly had a problem with my pants. I don't know what this, where this came from. Yeah. I, I teach you. Yeah, I know. This, I'm glad you have that reaction because that was my reaction. Yeah. What they they asked if and and also the irony here is I was wearing team issued Lululemon pants um, wow. and a team issued Nike shirt and the Nike shirt was tight and the pants are I mean yoga, pants. yoga pants they are yeah. what they are right but also everything that I do is about demonstrating like I I'm I'm not thinking about. It being sexual when I'm demoing something for people. I, I mean, I don't know how many times I'll point to my glute if I'm talking about glute activation, just like you would, right? Right. Like there's You're coaching. Something. Yes. If someone else is seeing me that way, that's their problem. Right. That's not mine. And and I mean, I don't wear low cut things. Like I've never, I've always been very careful about that. It came out of nowhere. And they wanted me to change my my pants. And my initial reaction, I want to be a team player, right? I didn't, my initial reaction was, okay, this is ridiculous, but then I want to be a team player. Let me look to see what is offered. And I started to go down that road. And then all of a sudden I said, wait, what? Because first of all, finding yoga pants that don't look like yoga pants, that's fun. And, and so then I said, no, no, you know what? I, I've earned a reputation and a level of respect, and I'm, I'm not getting that level of, re- of respect from you. If someone has a problem with the way that I look in my clothes, that's not my problem. That's theirs. Right. And I pushed back hard, and and I I was still paid but not asked to come in and work with that team for the remainder of the year. And it that sucked. It really it really shook me, but I stood my ground. There's no, there was no way. I mean, I've been dressing like that for 15 years, right? Right. And then there was kind of a reorg at that, at that team. And the next year, then it was, it became a non-issue. And since then it's been a non-issue, but stand your ground when it comes to things like that, because that was blatantly sexist. But yes. Be careful about the words you use um, because 
as much as I think like the me too thing has helped shed like shine a light on certain things. I think also it's, we have to walk this line of being careful that we're not, we're not making it seem like we don't belong in that environment. Yeah. That's a great point. It's It's gotta be a tough, tough line to walk. It is. It is. I feel like I've done it pretty well up until this point. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, I'm not saying that you're not going to encounter some uncomfortable situations because it's unfortunately the nature of, of the beast in a way. I mean, it's, if we look at just our culture in general, we're coming a long way, but there was a time in the not so recent past when women couldn't vote, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So don't forget that. right? Right. And then there are different cultures where women are viewed differently. And we've got players from all over the world. I mean, I've had the opportunity to work at the WWE. And that's like a circus. There are players from every corner of the globe. Yeah. So so you just have to have perspective, always maintain self-respect, but walk that fine line of still understanding what environment you're in, you're coming into their environment. Yep. And if you want to have a longstanding career, there has to be a certain amount of understanding that you're coming into the, that environment. I love so it. I hope people get that. And yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Okay. Big question time. If okay. you could alter the space time continuum and give young Dana Santis one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Well, I gave you a little insight into my childhood and it sucked. So it was hard at times to kind of hang on. And just, I moved out when I was 14. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And and I was the I was like one of the really poor kids at school. If you ever had the kid at school that was wearing the same clothes every day and kind of thing. Yeah. So when I was younger, it just everything seemed really heavy and it was hard to see out of that. So I would tell her that right now it sucks, but you're building so much strength and character and that's going to serve you so well later in life. And then you're going to have children who never, ever have to feel the way that you did growing up. You're, yeah. If I could have known that, it would have made it a little bit easier to take. But like I look at my kids and I'm so happy to know that they never I made sure they never had to suffer any of that. But I also learned the value of, you know, character building. And 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 I didn't I didn't coddle them to the point that they weren't building character. You know, I gave them enough independence. Yeah. So so just and you're going to make mistakes plenty of them. Yes. <laughs> and, but you know what? You're going to learn from them. And that's the most important part. So yeah, I'd love to go back in time and and, and tell her that because I wouldn't change the course of my life because I don't want to. I love where I am now. Right. So it's all worth it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Last but not least, we've got our lightning round. Okay. So four questions. First one I'm very interested in. How did you get the nickname of the mobility maker? The assistant athletic trainer at the Tampa Bay Lightning. He okay. called me that. He didn't want to call it yoga classes anymore because he's like, it's not yoga. And he called me mobility maker. And it was right around the same time that I was told by I had a contract with Turner Broadcasting because I was working with CNN. Mm-hmm. And they said, you have to have social media. Like I didn't have any social media. Right. So I and so he had just recently called me that and I used it as my social handle and then it stuck. I've had people run up to me in the airport and be like, mobility maker. I don't even think they know my name. <laughs> so, that's that, funny. 
That's awesome. I love it. Okay. Number two, what book or books are you reading right now? Oh, what book? Or just well, Con Ed in general. What is the one? Because, and I wish I was reading a, a physical book, but I do so much commuting that they're all yes. audio books. Yes. And you know what? I just, I just finished one. I do read some things that are a little bit out there. I like that though. Yeah. I, uh, let's see. It's in it, but it's all nonfiction. I'm really not a fiction person. Yeah. If I'm going to do fiction, I'm going to watch a movie, right? Sure. All right. So the, somebody told me about this Dr. Joe Dispenza. He's, he is definitely a little bit out there. Okay. Uh, and there, it, and he's got some cool meditations and breaking the habit of being yourself, it's called. Okay. So I had just finished that. Yeah. His next one, I couldn't get into this. I started it and then I stopped was called Becoming Supernatural. And I'm really into like evidence-based and science-based stuff. And right. so I couldn't get through that. Um, <laughs> what I'm waiting for, which I just pre-ordered and it comes out October 15th, is the new Simon Sinek book. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm waiting on that. But let's see, what did I? Yeah, I was I was dabbling in some weird things. That's all right, I, though. Yeah. But my favorite my feet. Oh, wait. And I did also, I listened to Becoming, Michelle Obama's book. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed that. That was, there were some interesting insights into what happened in the presidency, but I also just liked, yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of fun and different for me. I like listening to her love story with, with Barack. Power Moves by Adam Grant. I like Adam Grant stuff. Okay. I loved Barking Up the Wrong Tree by Eric Barker. Okay. What's that Have about? It's very much like like Malcolm Gladwell's type okay. of stuff. Okay, I got you. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So anybody who likes Malcolm Gladwell, and you all should, would like Barking Up the Wrong Tree by Eric Barker. Really like that. And one that I read a long time ago that I really enjoyed was Smarter, Faster, Better by Charles Duhigg. Duhigg, yep. That one was super cool. I remember being late going into that, that one I did like three years ago, but... I couldn't stop listening to it and I had to go in and it was like spring training and I, and I'm like, I just need to listen to the last five minutes of this. <laughs> uh, it's so good. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. Number three, we'd already talked about being a woman in hyper-masculine sports. So I'm interested. Do you have an off season in your work? Is there ever like downtime for you? Cause I mean, you've got a lot of balls in the air, so. Yeah. And all sports overlap. So their off seasons overlap, their camps overlap. Like it's just, there's never really truly an off season. The only time when it tends to get a little quieter from a training perspective only though, is during the summer. Although, you know, I'll have some NFL um, work then, but, but then that becomes my high like presentation season. So that's when I'm on the road more during the summer. So there really is there is no off season. Just grinding all the time. I love it. <laughs> but I love it, right? I know. So I know. It, I do it too. Would be different if I didn't like what I was doing. Right. Right. Okay. Number four. Last but not least, what's next for Dana Santis? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Go. Okay. So I have this. I think I started to bring it up a little bit before this yoga inspired training method for athletes coaching mm-hmm. certification. Yit method for athletes. And that I'm really working hard to try to get that completed. Uh, I've had a ton of interest. And then that I want to grow rather 
large because I have so many teams that reach out to me and, and, and individual athletes. And I mean, professional teams and, and professional athletes, and then also on the collegiate level. Yep. And they're looking for someone in their area who, and this is a direct quote every time, does what you do. And no one really does what I do because as I've explained, it's been this evolution, right? Yep. So if there's someone out there doing what I, what I do exactly, that would be crazy because this has just been like circumstance that's brought me to, to create what it is that I do now. So as I had said before, it's all about context and really you have to have an understanding of the context. There are the fundamental exercises, of course. So I've got, I've got those, but really teaching the context of what it takes to be effective and efficient in implementing those exercises in a sports setting. Yep. So yes, that's going to be coming out. If not by the end of the year, then I'm going to roll it out in January. And then that'll be really where I put all of my emphasis because I, as much as I love working with teams, I've been increasingly backing off from that. And I want to start to put other really good people into those roles. Yep. And you know, it's been nice to kind of blaze the trail so that now teams are really open to that. And I just want to give them effective people to be able to do it. So I'm really excited for that. I have, well, I have my breathing course that's online right now, and that's fairly new. It's not what's next, but yep. I do want to plug that because I, I'm proud of it. So it's Breathe Better 101. And it's on the programs page of my website, Mobility Maker. Okay. And then uh, let's see, I have a oh, I have a new piece of equipment coming out with Soranex. It's called the Mobility Maker Bench, and it's again necessity is the mother of invention. I was using kind of this like curved stool for some of the clients that came to see me in my garage gym, and it was made out of wood and leather because it was meant to be just a stool that you sit on. But I was using it like for these things I call pelvis resets when we're doing kind of lunge work. And then I was using it in the frontal plane for internal and external hip rotations, like all kinds of crazy stuff that I was finding that this worked for, but I wish that it was adjustable and obviously more durable. And then right. there were other things that I could add to it. And so I drew it all out and, and Bert Soren and I have been good friends for a while and, and he was like, let's make it. That's so, cool. so we made it and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And some teams have already pre-ordered it and it, it should be available this fall. So oh, that's great. That'll be coming out. I can't wait to have it in my garage gym. I had the prototype <laughs> for a while and I used it so much and so I'm missing it. Um, Absolutely. Yep. So there's that. And yeah, I and I've been asked to write a breathing book. I had started doing that last year and then I got into this YIT course that I was creating that I, well, not last year. Gosh, I'm forgetting when I, it was earlier in this year. Maybe it was last year. I don't know. It all blends together. And yes. Mike, I, yes. I don't know, but, but I'm going back to that. I'm actually talking to the publisher on Friday about, I, I think that I'm ready to go back and finish writing that book. Yes. Because it sounds like I've got tons of spare time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have too much going on. So why don't you write a book in that free time? That free yeah. five minutes that you have between 1155 and midnight every day. Right. So- <laughs> Last but not least, where can my listeners find out more about you? I know you mentioned the website. What about social? Anything like that? Yeah, I, I try to post a lot on Instagram. Instagram's my favorite social media platform. Yeah. So if you follow me on any other platforms, you're really just seeing what I'm putting on Instagram. Yes. It's better to just look at it on Instagram and it's right. at Mobility Maker. Perfect. Yeah. So that's I it. it. I love it. Well, Dana, thanks so much for coming on here today in your 
one hour of free time today. You spent it talking to us, and I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's been an honor. my friend. That does it for this week's show with Dana. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. I know I just love how practical her approach is. And I've made the mistake of doing too much mobility work, too much breathing work, too many correctives. And over the years, I've kind of figured out, okay, this is what I need to do. And it's gotten really kind of whittled down, really basic. But at the same time, I think that allows me to get the best possible result with my clients and athletes. So if you enjoyed the show, Please share it with a friend, family member, loved one, fellow athlete, anybody that you think would hearing benefit from hearing Dana's message, I would truly appreciate it. And with that being said, as always, you know, love and appreciate you. Thanks for your support. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>